the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm speaking with Laura Snyder. Laura lives in Paris, France, and is the international representative on the Taxpayer Advocacy Panel, also known as TAP. Today, we'll talk about the Taxpayer Advocacy Panel and its work. Thanks, Laura, for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I'm really happy for the opportunity to talk about TAP. For those who don't know, what is TAP and what is its relationship to the National Taxpayer Advocate, to the Taxpayer Advocate Service, and to the IRS? TAP is a federal advisory committee to the IRS. It was established in 2002 under the Department of Treasury. TAP has about 75 members. They represent each of the 50 states, D.C. and Puerto Rico. And just for the past few years, TAP has had one a member living overseas who represents international taxpayers. TAP's purpose is to listen to taxpayers to identify their issues and make recommendations to the IRS for how it can improve its services to taxpayers. The IRS doesn't have to implement what TAP recommends, but it does have to listen to TAP. And if it chooses not to implement TAP's recommendations, it has to explain why. You know, in contrast, if an ordinary person sends a recommended suggestion to the IRS, the IRS has no obligation to do anything with it. TAP members are all volunteers. We're supported by the IRS, but we're not employees of the IRS or any other part of the federal government. Some of us might be in other jobs, but we are not employees of IRS. And TAP members come from all walks of life. Tax professionals, sure, some of us, but most of us are just ordinary people who want to perform public service. So some TAP members are factory workers, professionals, teachers, professors, state government employees, and retirees, and also military retirees. Since we're volunteers, um, we're not paid, but sometimes uh, our expenses can be reimbursed. And TAP works under the systemic advocacy arm of the National Taxpayer Advocate. So this means that TAP only works on systemic issues or issues that affect a large number of taxpayers. You have to contrast that to TAS, or the Taxpayer Advocate Service. They also work under the NTA, under the National Taxpayer Advocate. They aren't under systemic advocacy, and it's TAS who helps individual taxpayers with their individual issues. So you kind of answered it, but is there anything else you want to add as far as how TAP works? Yeah. TAP does everything by committee. So it's 75 members are divided among six committees. And I'll tell you the names of those committees. Uh, but I'll tell you right now that for five of them, the name will tell you instantly what topics they focus on. And the sixth one won't give you that information at all. There's notices and correspondence. There's tax forms and publications. There's taxpayer assistance centers. There's taxpayer communications. There's toll-free phone lines. And then the six special projects. So special projects, that name doesn't tell you a lot. In a nutshell, this committee, at the moment anyway, addresses issues that have to do with identity theft and identity security, and then topics relating to international taxpayers. So that's why I'm on the Special Projects Committee. 
Each committee is divided into two subcommittees. It's at the subcommittee level where the detailed work on specific issues gets done. On the special projects committee, I'm on the subcommittee that focuses on international issues. So in addition to TAP's work on the issues that we do within the committee, another big part of our work is, is outreach. And okay. there's two objectives we have with our outreach. We want to tell the public about TAP, about its existence, about its purpose. Right. And we especially want to solicit suggestions from taxpayers for how the IRS can improve its service. So our outreach work can take various forms. And this podcast is an excellent example. This is why I'm thankful to you for the opportunity. And then other examples are, for example, writing articles like the American Magazine and the American Expat Financial News Journal, both mm-hmm. UK-based. In 2019, they both published articles that I authored about TAP. We can also attend events. Uh, where we can either make presentations about TAP or man a booth where people can come to us and we can talk to them about TAP. In May, I made a presentation at an Aero meeting. In October, I was able to attend the Bloom Where You're Planted event at the American Church in Paris and could talk to a lot of people. So anyone listening to this, if they have any ideas for outreach activities that they think could be interesting, I hope that they'll let me know easy for me to do things in Paris, but it's not impossible for me to do things outside of Paris. Definitely let me know. Great. We'll make sure to include your contact information in the show notes as well. What happens inside of TAP? How do issues and problems get advanced and resolved? So meetings are a key element of TAP's work. And although sometimes in-person meetings take place, usually work is done virtually on web conferencing and by email. Many meetings, and especially our full committee meetings, are open to the public. You can find notifications of those on the Federal Register website, so anyone who wants to can dial in and listen in on those, and I would encourage anyone who's interested to do that. Some people think that TAP's work is just limited to taking a suggestion that a taxpayer submits and basically forwarding it as it is to the IRS, but if that was all we did, TAP wouldn't have any reason to exist. And actually, there's a lot of work that goes on between the moment a taxpayer submits a suggestion and the moment TAP submits a formal recommendation to the IRS that's based on that taxpayer suggestion. To begin, all the suggestions are screened and categorized, mm-hmm. and not all the suggestions that come to t- into TAP are appropriate for TAP, so I'll talk about that more in a minute. So for the suggestions that are considered appropriate for TAP, Those are allocated first to the appropriate committee by subject matter and then to the appropriate subcommittee. And then, and as I mentioned a minute ago, it's the subcommittee where the most detailed work takes place. The subcommittee will research the issue that's raised. And that research can involve a lot of reading, but it can also involve consulting with subject matter experts. And then it's after that research has been done that the subcommittee crafts a first draft of what's called a project referral, the project referral form for the IRS and that explains the problem, it explains the importance of the problem, and it makes a proposed solution. Those referrals are usually two to four pages long, but for complicated issues, they could easily be longer. So once the subcommittee done that research, has prepared that first draft, then the draft goes through a quality control review. After Mm -hmm. that, it's submitted to the full committee. The full committee has to approve it. And once they do it, it goes to the joint committee. That's made up of the chairs of each of the six committees only once the joint committee has approved it that that recommendation is finally submitted to the IRS. Now, once it is submitted, the IRS has to respond to the recommendation. They're required to respond 
they have a deadline of 60 days. And when it responds, it has to give a sufficiently detailed response. It has to say whether it either has or will adopt the implementation in whole or in part, or whether it won't. Because it won't, then it has to explain why it is that it won't adopt it. And if we don't like the IRS's response, we can respond ourselves back to them. There's also TAP staff. So TAP does have a paid staff. They mm -hmm. aren't the ones that make the decisions, but they're the ones that make sure that all the processes are being followed and they take care of the administrative issues. Right, so right. TAP staff are tasked with actually making sure that the recommendations that are accepted actually are implemented. So I said earlier that not all the suggestions that are submitted to TAP are appropriate for TAP to work on. Some of the suggestions that TAP gets, they're for changes to law regulations. For example, I'm not sure a month goes by that TAP hasn't received a suggestion that the IRS stop taxing persons who live outside the U.S. Of course, many people agree with that and think that that should be the case. Um, but TAP can't do anything with that suggestion because it requires changes to laws or regulations, not just to IRS services. We just have to move on to the next suggestion when we, we see a suggestion like that. Sometimes a taxpayer contacts TAP with a problem that's specific to them. For example, someone is overdue on receiving a refund and the fact that they haven't gotten it is causing them financial hardship. Right. Uh, we have to refer those people to TAS to help them with those individual issues. It's not a systemic issue that TAP can do anything with. And some of the suggestions that we get are, I'm not even sure that they're suggestions. They're very poorly formulated and we're not quite sure what's actually trying to be communicated. We can't do much with those either. I think something interesting that I think it's important to point out, sometimes we get suggestions with a goal, not of assisting taxpayers or improving IRS services, but the objective is actually to enhance enforcement of the tax laws. Oh. And of course, there's a time and a place for those types of suggestions. My opinion is TAP isn't the time or the place, that TAP's mission is to improve IRS services to taxpayers. Enhancing enforcement just doesn't fit in that mission. When we get those types of suggestions, I always argue we shouldn't take them on. So far, I've been convincing on that point. I hope I continue <laughs> to be. So what are some of the recent issues you have raised on behalf of Americans living abroad? I have raised myself a couple, but I think that it's more accurate to say I've encouraged others as part of the out, my outreach work. I've encouraged, encouraged others to submit issues. So some people have done so, and I'm, I'm happy that they have. So setting aside whether it was you know, a suggestion that I made to tap or whether someone else made it, some mm -hmm. of the issues worked on this past year. We worked on a recommendation that the IRS make more clear in its publications where okay. international returns should be mailed uh, when they're sent in by, by post. I don't know if you noticed this, but the IRS publications in, for 2018, uh, one of them listed the filing threshold for married filing separately. One IRS publication said this threshold was $5, and another one said this threshold was $12,000. I didn't so notice there's a, that. <laughs> there's a bit of a difference, and if you are in that category and your income is between $5 and $12,000, that discrepancy is a big deal. So uh, so we worked on a recommendation that, I, that the IRS clarify that. 
we worked on a recommendation that the IRS expand the number of services that it offers in foreign languages and also expand the number of foreign languages that it uses. We worked on a recommendation that the IRS make it easier for international taxpayers. Use probably, um, but as, as you know, it can be difficult to get a social security number if you're living yes. overseas. So we submitted a recommendation to IRS that they make it easier for individuals to get individual tax identification numbers when they want to, you know, enter the system and become compliant, but they're having trouble getting a social security number. We've worked on a recommendation to simplify the process for taxpayers to verify their identity to the IRS. That's an issue that's true for taxpayers no matter where they live in the world, including the ones that live in the U.S. The last one I'll mention here a recommendation to make it possible for overseas taxpayers to make a toll-free call to the IRS the same way that domestic taxpayers can. It's surprising that it's not already possible. All, all those issues except one, I worked on with the Special Projects Committee, but that last one about the toll-free calls, that one was handled by the Toll-Free Calls Committee. They asked me to join them to work on that specific issue, which I actually was really happy about it gave me the chance to work with a different group of people and see how that committee operated so i was really happy to be invited to work with them on that what are some of the challenges that tap faces well i think you can probably guess that of course resources the lack of resources is a challenge all organizations face tap sees that on two different levels tap's own funding is limited so that's why most of our meetings are, are virtual. It's my, the possibility for me to travel for outreach activities is limited because the ability for TAP to reimburse me for that travel is, is pretty limited. Then you also see it in the substantive work that we do. For instance, I, the IRS's resources are limited. This fact limits the services they can give taxpayers, and so that generates suggestions, you know, that result in problems that taxpayers face so that generate suggestions that they make to TAP. At the same time, sometimes the IRS uh, will agree with our recommendations in principle, but mm -hmm. they'll respond that they can't implement it because they don't have the resources necessary. To, you know, they just, their budget constraints are too tight to be able to actually implement our recommendations. So those, definitely those are the biggest challenges that TAP faces. What are some of the challenges that you have personally faced working on TAP? That's a very good question. When I was first appointed to TAP, I was told by a former TAP member that they had become frustrated by how long it takes for an issue to make it through TAP's processes. And for sure, it can take a while. Usually, it will take several months. Sometimes, it will take even longer, depending on the, on the complexity of the issue. But I think the fact that this person told me that helped me prepare for that. So I just went into it accepting that that would be the case. So I myself haven't really felt frustrated by that. You know, I think, would it be nice if things could go faster? For sure, for sure. But on the other hand, I've also had a year to see how the process works. And I understand why it's so lengthy. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into preparing the first draft of a, of a referral. And then yes. that draft has to go through multiple checks and verifications. When you think that all the decisions are made by committee and the committees only meet once a month and that we're oh, all volunteers, great. I actually think in the time we have, we managed to do a lot. And I also think that that process 
of those multiple checks and verifications, it makes sure that what when we do make a submission to the IRS, it's a good quality submission. Um, yes, that we're making recommendations that are useful and are well-reasoned. I'd add to this, I've, I've faced recently a bit of a more personal challenge. I'll try and make it a short story because it's actually a long one. So my committee worked on an issue in early 2019, and we submitted our recommendation to the IRS in July of 2019. Okay. And, and late July. In early September, the IRS very quietly implemented our recommendations, but they didn't tell us that they were doing it. And they actually, to this day, haven't formally responded to that particular recommendation because they were so quiet in implementing it. It wasn't until early December when I actually noticed I was doing something else and I came across the fact that they'd implemented it. So we didn't realize it till early December. And then actually to kind of rub salt into that wound, Mm -hmm. right about that time, the NTA, the National Taxpayer Advocate, posted a blog entry on their website talking about TAS's involvement with this issue and also talking about AROS, the Association of American President. Oh, really? And didn't mention TAP at all. Oh, no. (laughs) And so that that took me a little bit to come to terms with. I wasn't real happy about that. And then there (laughs) there there was a challenge I thought that I would have, but I'm very pleasantly surprised that I, I didn't have it. I thought that the my other TAP members might not have much interest in or sympathy for the special issues that overseas taxpayers face. Actually, in my work with them this year, I would say the opposite is true. They've shown a lot of interest. Um, really? They listen to me That's talk great. about it. They ask questions. They show a lot of sympathy. They show a lot of enthusiasm for working on the issues, which I think explains why you know I had that long relatively long list of issues all pertaining to overseas taxpayers. I think that that is in in large part a reflection of the fact that, uh, you know, everything gets done by committee. Everybody on the committee has to agree to work on an issue and and what the recommendations will be. So, you know, the fact that we can work on all those issues is really a testament to their interest and their enthusiasm for, for these types of issues. That's great that they have the interest and enthusiasm in what's happening with Americans living overseas. Because I, I think sometimes Americans overseas feel a little bit disconnected, you know, or that they're not having their issues recognized. Yes, they definitely, I think, and rightfully feel that. Yeah, and then that's why I expected to have that challenge. And it was great that I didn't. Fantastic. What made you want to serve on TAP? So I think it was a mix of reasons. You know, I'm, I'm not quite sure anymore what was going through my mind at the time. But, but I think I'd have to say that I know I wanted to get more involved in tax matters as they relate to overseas taxpayers. And I just wanted to learn more about the area. I think as I was doing that, I came across a post somewhere on social media saying that TAP was looking for an international member. And I read the description of the role and I thought, wow, I could I could do that. So I applied and I, I actually didn't really think that I'd be selected, but I was, <laughs> which I was really happy about. Yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if I can explain any more than that. <laughs> I think that does a good job of explaining it. What does it mean to be a representative of TAP? Well, I think there's multiple responses to that question. I think... If you ask that question of 
any TAP member, not just me, but any TAP member, mm-hmm. I think you'll likely get a response along the lines of it's an opportunity to perform a, a public service and a, yes. and a needed public service. We work in the shadows. You know, not very many people know TAP exists and even fewer know about the actual work we do or the differences the work we do can make. As what happened in December shows, even the NTA forgets about us sometimes. <laughs> even all that aside, we can see that we're doing something useful and we can see how we make a difference. It's pretty satisfying to be able to do that, be involved in that type of work. So I think that's one response you would get from many chat members. Mm-hmm. I think another common response you'd get is that you have an opportunity to meet and work with people from all over the country. In my case, it's only people from all over the U.S. who who otherwise you'd never get the chance to meet or work with. That's been very, I think that's interesting for most TAP members, and certainly that's been very interesting for me. I've met a lot of really interesting people who I found really inspiring and have learned a lot from. I think I have my own unique response to that Mm -hmm. question that's unique to me as the international member. So I grew up in the U.S but I left in 1995 when I was 28 years old, so quite a bit of time ago. While I've been overseas, obviously I've had contact with other Americans, but they've been mostly a particular kind of American, the kind that lives outside the U.S. or that at least leaves the U.S. from time to time. Having this experience with TAP has almost been a cultural experience for me. It's a way for me to experience the United States and homeland Americans in a way that otherwise I, it would be very difficult for me to do living outside the U.S. And, you know, sometimes I think about it and I think, I know the United States that I left in 1995. That's not the United States of today. I find that my work with TAP gives me a window on the United States of today that, that I find fascinating and that otherwise I would have, I just simply wouldn't have access to. That's really interesting. Going forward, how do you see your role in TAP evolving or changing? I thought about that, and obviously as we're entering a new TAP year, um, I've needed to think about that. So TAP offers opportunities for formal leadership positions. You can be a chair of a subcommittee or of a full committee, and you can be a chair or a vice chair of the whole organization of TAP, so of all 75 members. You can serve on ancillary committees that are focused on internal communications and outreach and screening suggestions mm-hmm. and on quality control. Now that I'm going into my the second of my three-year term, I you know I've asked myself, do I want to present myself as a candidate for a chair or vice chair of the special projects committee or of my subcommittee? Right now, my thinking is I probably won't. The reason why I won't isn't because I wouldn't like to serve in those roles. I think I would, but I don't think that's where the special value added I can bring to TAP actually has value in that as the only international member of TAP, I, you know, I bring a perspective and a knowledge about overseas taxpayers that, that the others can't bring because they don't live yes, overseas. Exactly. And I don't, I, I could be mistaken about this, but I don't see that actually being very useful in those uh, more administrative roles. And I think that that is actually more useful screening issues, working on issues, and doing outreach. So my thinking is, 
you know, I don't have all the time in the world. So the time that I do spend on tab, my thinking is it's better spent working on issues, screening issues, working on issues and doing outreach. That makes total sense. Do you think there should be more than one international representative on the panel? So actually, you know, I think that that's a very logical question to ask, given your previous question. I mean, of course, you know, theoretically, there should be 74 out of the 75 members being international members. You know, of course, there should be more. And even if you look at, you know, if you were to allocate members by population, and if you were to take, uh, you know, the population of 9 million Americans overseas, you would even say, just on that basis, we should have another one. That being said, it's very difficult to change the makeup of TAP. It's limited to 75 members. And so if you add a member from another, from one geographic area, you have to take it away from another one. So my understanding is that when the international role was created, it was one of the more populous states. So California, New York, I'm not sure which one actually lost a TAP representative so that it could be given to an international representative. Mm -hmm. Given that an international member was added so recently, I I think it's it'll be a while before anyone would seriously entertain a discussion of adding a second one. But obviously it'd be helpful. It could allow for another international member to serve on a different committee. It could allow it would free one or both of us up to assume leadership roles. So mm-hmm. of course it would be helpful. What are your thoughts about the importance of organizations like ACA working on behalf of Americans living overseas? That's the easiest question you've asked me. <laughs> um, Great. <laughs> and I mean, to me, that's, that's a no brainer. I mean, it's clear that organizations like the ACA and Arrow play absolutely vital roles for Americans overseas. And if such organizations didn't exist, they, they would have to be created. I would even go further and say, there's so much work that needs to be done for Americans living overseas. I don't think we have enough. Uh, such organizations. So it's clear that these are very important organizations. Lastly, what's the best way for those who are interested to get involved? And maybe you can give our listeners your contact information if you'd like as well. Okay. So firstly, absolutely don't hesitate to submit suggestions to TAP. In addition to my contact information, I've also prepared a, a document that explains exactly how to submit an issue to TAP. So Michelle, I think you're gonna include a link to that when you yes. uh, post the podcast. Look for that link, cause it will explain exactly what to do, where to go to submit a suggestion to TAP. So that's my first suggestion for what listeners can do to get involved. The second is think about becoming a member of TAP yourself. If you live in the United States, You can think about that right now because TAP recruits every year. The recruiting period starts usually in March or April and finishes in May or June. So it'll start again in probably March or April of 2020. If Mm. you uh, live outside the United States, then TAP is going to be recruiting for my replacement one year from now. In spring of 2021, TAP will start recruiting for someone to take over my role in 2022. If you live overseas and you were to apply now, say in, well, March, April of this year, 
what you would be applying for is to serve as an alternate in case for whatever reason I can't uh, finish my term and certainly mm -hmm. tap recruits both for full members and for alternates. And many times TAP members can't serve their terms and the alternates are, are brought in. So that's my second suggestion is consider becoming TAP member yourself and definitely one year from now, TAP will need to recruit my replacement. And then my third suggestion is if you know of any outreach opportunities for me, any kind at all, please, please let me know. It could be writing for a media outlet of some kind. It could be attending an event where I could make a, a short, I promise it would be short, presentation about TAP, <laughs> or, or man a booth at a fair type of event, or an interview, or another podcast like this one. Anything that would put me in contact with Americans overseas, any, anywhere in the world. So my uh, Twitter handle is at tapinternation, no A-L at the end, because it didn't fit. And my email address, tapinternationallaurasnyder at gmail.com. So T-A-P international L-A-U-R-A-S-N-Y-D-E-R at gmail.com. That's my email address. So I can be reached on Twitter or, or by email. And so with this podcast, there should be links to the TAP page, homepage, the TAP page for submitting suggestions, and then more information about TAP and certainly about how to submit a suggestion to TAP. Yes, I'll definitely make sure to include your contact information and the links to how to become a member and other relevant links in the show notes. So listeners, please check out the show notes. Thank you, Laura, for taking the time to chat today on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about TAP. Thanks. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us. 